0: So this is the topic when I talk to married people. So I, there's a lot of people that I've talked to about this series, a lot of pastors, all that kind of stuff. And I talk through the series, like, we're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about dating. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about baggage. And we start talking about baggage. and They're like, this is the one area. They're like, man, this is what I wish I knew going into marriage. Uh, This would save us from all kinds of pain in marriage. This would have saved us from all kinds of arguments in marriage. This would have helped us see what we didn't see beforehand. And and really, when we talk about baggage, the idea is this, is the idea that we can deal with as much of it as possible before we get into marriage. And really, when it comes to baggage, baggage is probably something that you should care more about on the first date than even where you're going. Like the question should be, hey, when I come to pick you up, should I bring a uh, Prius for your baggage or a U-Haul? Um, it should be the question. Uh, don't ask that, but like, that would be a better question that would set you up more for understanding whether or not you should be dating this person at this moment or not. But we, we do, we all have baggage. We all have these things going on. And here's what happens most of the time is we look at our baggage and we go, I'm not going to deal with this right now. Um, I'll deal with it when I get married. I'm not going to deal with this right now. I'll deal with it later on. Um, I'm just going to not focus on that right now, or we cover it up, or we choose not to see it. Many of us just try to stay oblivious as possible to our baggage, but we talked about this before. When you get married and you're with with somebody 24-7, not only does the baggage you know about show up, but the baggage you didn't even know about shows up. And so what you have the opportunity to do is deal with it right now, but what we do many times, instead of dealing with our baggage, we just get a prettier bag. And here's what I mean by that. We change ourselves. We change who we are, we change the way we look, we change our jobs, we change our friends. Every time somebody has a chance of getting to know us, every time something starts to come out that we don't want to come out, we change. And we run away from things and we change things so that nothing can come out and hopefully, hopefully, someone will love me enough so that I can get married, get into marriage, and then all of it can come out and then that's the way marriage works. But that's the problem is in marriage, when you don't deal with your baggage ahead of time, it's like two people having baggage trying to hand it off at the same time without touching the other ones. It's like that whole, you know, the, like in the, in the movies where they're like making an exchange, like, and they're like, okay, same time, same time. And, and like, that's what you're doing. You're like, please take my baggage, you take my baggage. It's two people that have got all these issues who can't handle somebody else's issues trying to get the other person to deal with their issues. It, it's one of those things. So we have the opportunity ahead of time to have the courage to open these up. See, God didn't want you to sit in this. God doesn't want you to sit in the pain and the guilt and the shame of some of the things that have gone through in your life. God doesn't want you to sit in these things that your parents have handed you. God wants you to get freedom from that. But it takes courage and it takes honesty. Most of all, it takes honesty really looking at ourselves, really bringing people, other people in so that we can understand these things. And so we're going to look at five bags tonight. Um, we're looking at five things. And here's, here's what I know. One of them at least, at least one, maybe more, will will hit you. Um, it, it'll hit you. Like even as I'm teaching this message, a lot of times it goes, oh yeah, that, that's me. And, and so it will hit you. And you're, you're going to have a choice to to forget about it or decide to take steps towards healing that part of your life. And so the first one we're going to talk about here is generational sin. Generational sin. In Psalm 51 5, it says this, it says, for I was born a sender, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. You were born into brokenness. Um, your parents are broken people. Some of you already know that. Some of you are realizing that more now. I feel like the older I get, the more I realize my parents are broken. And not only are they broken, but they were born in a brokenness also. And, and they're, the reason they are the way they are is because their parents were the way they were. And so here's what's tough many times. As in our age range, when we're growing up, when we're starting to see all of these things our parents did to us, starting to see these things that we don't like about the way we were raised, we look at our parents and we're like, say sorry. We look at our parents and we're like, why can't you fix this? Why can't you be perfect? And they're sitting there going, I'm dealing with this. The same thing with my parents. And so we're looking for people to heal us. We're looking for people to solve our problems that are dealing with their own brokenness. And so when it comes to baggage, when it comes to these things, no matter whether or not you caused it to yourself or someone else did, at one point, we have to look at ourselves and go, I'm claiming this because if until I claim it, I can't deal with it. And so with our parents, I mean, it started with Adam and Eve. They sinned right off the bat. And ever since they sinned, it caused this to continue to happen over and over again. And what happens is this, is we start to know our parents more. We start to see their strengths. We start to see their weaknesses. We start to see the areas where they struggle. And then what we see is their coping mechanisms. All of our parents had something, right? They all had something that they dealt with some way that they handled something wrong. And we saw them de- develop coping mechanisms, develops ways of dealing with that to the point where we see all of it so much. And we love our parents so much that we forget that it's even there. Then over time, we forget that it's there. Then all of a sudden, it, it shows up in us later on. And the older you get, the more it shows up. And you realize, and this is really hard to understand and, and really hard to take in, that you become a reflection of your parent. The things that you hated in them, the things that you never wanted to see in yourself, you start to do yourself. And it's crazy how it continues to go. And just as kind of a, a one that is a little bit funny, so we can start off on that way, is the, uh, the worrying parent. I don't know if any of you guys had this worrying parent, the parent that literally had to know everything all the time. Like you guys were going to go to the movies with friends and they're like, okay, so um, here's the deal. I'm going to need you, uh, first off, to give me the phone numbers of the parents because I need to call them. Make sure that they're Christian um, and everything's okay there. Uh, Make sure that they raise their kids in godly ways. And then after that, um, when your friends get here, I've got affidavits for them that says that uh, they won't smoke or drink or anything. And then when they actually get there, your mom walks out and she checks the tire pressure on their car. She goes, here's what I want you to do. I want you to call me as soon as you get there. I want you to call me as soon as the previews start. Tell me what the previews are. I'd like to know that. Uh, I need you to text me uh, whether or not you get popcorn because I care about your blood glucose and all that. You're not diabetic, but you know, maybe one day. And so I, w- I want you to do that. As soon as you, the movie ends, tell me if there's another one at the end. You know, we'll, we'll figure that out and tell me when you leave. And she's also the parent that goes, hey, according to Find My Friends, um, you're at Taco Bell. We didn't say, you, you didn't say you're going to Taco Bell. You know how your stomach reacts with Taco Bell and you shouldn't do that. And so. You get home and your mom goes out and checks the tire pressure again and then there's that moment where you went over to a friend's house and you're like we're going to the movies and the mom's like okay cool take care and you're like wait what and you said you said I will never be that way but you have already become that way with just your friends some of you have roommates that are that way you're like what's going on why do you care so much where I am And that's a funny side of things. And we we look at that and we go, okay, yeah, we're worrying. But what about when it comes to the addictive parent? The person that was an addict in your family. The person that struggled with alcoholism or drugs or whatever it may be. And you saw that and you saw the way they went after these things. And you're going, that's not at all what I'm going to be. And you even started to cover up for their failures because you love them so much. Not realizing the way that it affected you. So you have the angry and abusive parent. There's nothing like anger and abuse that gets kind of just put away. Uh, the, people talk about anger as if it's something that you can just say, well, and here's what I hear all the time with these things. That's just our family. You ever said that about something? And here's what we do. We say, that's just our family. And when it becomes, that's just our family. It's no longer a sin. When it becomes, that's just our family, it's no longer baggage, it's no longer something that needs to be dealt with, it's something that's just a part of our family. I mean, you see it with anger all the time, oh, they only do that at this time, they only do that when they drink, they only do that uh, when when something bad happens, they're really a good person, but... And so you see that anger and that abuse that gets covered up. It gets explained away. And when we don't deal with it, we basically are setting ourselves up to repeat the same thing again. As much as you hated the way your parents act, if you don't pay attention to the patterns, if you don't pay attention to what they gave to you, you're destined to do the same thing again.
1: Yeah, generational sin and family strongholds is definitely a very real thing. Um, I would say that I probably never even heard of this term though until I was in the church or maybe read about it in the Bible. Um, but ultimately generational sin and family strongholds end up forming the early formation of who we think we are, who we think we are, our identity, which ultimately too ends up setting the foundation for our belief systems. So how we relate to the world around us. So to other people, to men and women and just the world in general, um, so, about five, five and a half years ago, um, I started attending counseling. And I was going probably like once or twice a week um, for six months. And we were at definitely the lowest point in our marriage. Um, I had reached a point where I was just hopeless um, about a lot of things, that just the same things continued to happen or, or come up over and over again. You know, I'm sure some of you have been there. Um, and I was just tired. Tired of carrying around the baggage that I had carried around my whole life and had brought into my marriage. And I just knew that, you know, between the harmful choices that I was making that were affecting myself. What was even more hurtful was watching how other people were suffering around me who were closest to me. So family members um, from my own choices. So I knew that it was time to get honest about a few things. Um, One of actually the first topics we learned about in counseling um, was generational sin and family strongholds and just the power that they have. Um, So I come from a long line of um, generational sin in different areas but what was really wild is they actually had us write out so my mom's side and my dad's side um, starting from like my sisters going to my parents and their siblings and then their parents and their parents and so anybody that I could remember or knew and then going through and writing down like all of the sins or the the known struggles That they dealt with. And I feel like most of you here, if you're starting to think about this stuff right now, like a few things quickly come to the top of your mind. Like, we kind of know the things that our family has always struggled with and those cycles that continue. But to actually have these things written down, clear, black and white, you know, it's a lot harder to pretend like they're not there or just forget about them or lessen them um, or explain them away like we like to do. We like to rationalize, right? So that was really powerful, um, just to give those sins a name and to call them out for what they were and to be able to articulate them. Um, there's definitely a freedom that came with that. And for me, I think it was just the freedom to know that like, I didn't get crazy all by myself, um, that I got crazy, honestly. So for those of you in here, maybe someone needed freedom from that today. Like you got freedom crazy, honestly, too. So turn to the neighbor on your right and say, she got it from her mama come on and turn to your other neighbor and say, I got it from my dad. Right. Okay. So I've kind of like, even the playing field there, we're all just kind of different levels of crazy anyway. Okay. So you're in good company here. Um, but where I want to challenge you guys with this is we just really want for you to be intentional about sitting down and having a real heart to heart with yourself and thinking about what are those things that, I currently struggle with? Or what are those things that I used to struggle with and I kind of have, you know, a good handle on them right now and I'm managing them fairly well? But are those the same things that your parents struggled with? Are those the same things that their parents struggled with? Um, And then being able to decide and make the conscious choice and decision, this is where the real freedom comes. To realize that you can actually become a freedom fighter in your family, that you can stand up in your generation and say no more to the enemy. So you, you're doing the work of being intentional about thinking about these things and, and, you know, making a list if you need to and calling them out for what they are and then having a heart-to-heart with God and breaking off agreement with any enemy, with the enemy that you had, maybe conscious or unconscious, and saying, but... I realize what these things are, but today I am choosing to say no more. And I'm going to fight for my children, my future children, and their children as well. That's empowering, and that should give someone in here hope today to know that you can stand up and say no more. Because God says that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. So we don't have to to carry these things around anymore. We weren't created. God didn't make us to be able to carry around this baggage so, we can stand up in our generation and say no more. So, that was just really empowering for me. Um, the second bag tonight is the bag of abandonment. Um, so, when we were preparing for this message, first of all, we were, we're co teaching, but. I told how I feel like I'm really teaching probably about two-thirds of the message tonight. <laughs> Even though I know I'm the one that brought in about 80% of the baggage into this relationship, I was like, I wish you would do a little bit more soul-searching because, you know, just to make me feel better about myself. You want but, me to find more baggage? <laughs> yes. I want okay. you to dig a little deeper. <laughs> um, but girls, if you are to sit and think about, man, I wonder what, you know, a girl with daddy issues look like. If you were to look that up in the encyclopedia or the dictionary, my face would be there. Okay. Um, so I was definitely the poster child for a girl with daddy issues I come from a long generational line of divorce, um, especially on my mom's side. And so a long line of women making decisions that, although it's maybe not something that obviously they chose on purpose, but ended up creating these cycles of abandonment throughout generations. Um, so she is on her fifth marriage to her fourth person. She remarried her first husband. I know you're trying to, like, draw a chart in your mind. He actually had to draw out a chart for staff members once to explain all of this. It takes um, a whiteboard. <laughs> but she married, um, remarried my biological father, who I didn't actually know that I had a different dad until I was in seventh grade. So the dad who did raise me, who adopted me, um, I had always kind of grown up wondering why I never had a connection with him um, why I never felt like I was enough, um, or that I was worth, you know, like pursuing to have relationship with. So yeah, that made sense when I found out that he wasn't, you know, my real dad. And, um, so when I did actually meet my real dad and stuff in seventh grade, like, obviously you're not going to just all, all of a sudden be, you know, daddy's little girl or whatever, you know, the saying is, um, but the enemy had convinced me over time. And the last kind of kicker here was, When my mom married her fourth husband, so this was, like, the guy that I finally saw in my life as, like, a father figure. I felt, like, truly loved me unconditionally. We had an awesome relationship. He actually walked me down the aisle. Um, And then one day, he completely up and left out of nowhere. So after nine years of marriage, found out that he was actually having an affair with an old girlfriend the entire nine years. um, And completely up and left on her birthday, real winner. Um, And still literally not a word spoken until this day. So no explanation, no like it wasn't your fault. So again, life had taught me that love is untrustworthy. um, That you are not worth fighting for. You're not worth staying for. And so abandonment though, this isn't just for the girls in here. Guys, this can look like a bunch of different things. Um, Maybe you were adopted as well. Um, and I'm not speaking to just guys, but everyone in the room, and you've struggled your whole life to feel like you were worth fighting for, that you were worth pursuing. Or maybe one or both parents traveled all the time, and you feel like they literally missed everything. And if they did show up for something, then they were probably late all the time, or they were distracted on their phone or whatever. Um, or maybe you grew up with lots of stuff and trips, but still you missed authentic connection and the ability to form healthy attachment to someone, to a guardian of some sort. Or maybe both of your parents or one of them just always seemed like they were too busy to take notice. No one ever really truly engaged you. You never really grew up feeling known or seen. So they were physically there. They provided a roof over your house and food on the table. But still, like, there was no connection there. They're emotionally inconsistent, or unavailable, or maybe they were just angry all the time. Signs of abandonment, though, will come out in one of two ways, or both. Either either you're going to find yourself really clingy, or you're going to find yourself building walls all the time. And for the clingy people here, you know who you are. And if you don't, your friends know who you are. You're the one that always rushes in and out of relationships. The person that always has to be in a relationship always has to be with someone, and there's not much time in between. You're overly eager to get into serious relationships all the time. And this doesn't have to be just in intimate relationships either. This can be in friendships too. So the friend that you meet someone, you're like, oh my gosh, I love her, and we're going to be BFF forever. We're going to talk to her all the time. We're going to go everywhere. And then if someone comes around another friend, you get seriously threatened. And that's a problem. And then maybe if you're the one who puts the walls up all the time. I will never allow this to happen again is ultimately what you are saying, to feel abandoned. I will never be left again. So you shy away from serious relationships. You're just going to go from fling to fling, and intimacy is really nothing you're looking for, definitely not looking to be vulnerable. And you pursue relationships also with people that you know are going to be emotionally unavailable. Because ultimately, what that does is it ends up reinforcing the lies that you already believe that love is not trustworthy. Let that sink in. So self-protection was definitely my gig. Um, I would always be the one to pursue. And that's because I didn't want to know what it felt like to not be pursued. So I would always make sure that I was going to pursue you first in a relationship. And eventually, if we did get into a relationship, I would end up self-sabotaging it because as soon as I start feeling vulnerable or as soon as I start feeling like maybe it's heading towards abandonment, um, maybe I'm feeling unnoticed or um, I'm not, you know, we're not engaging enough, um, then I would self-sabotage. And this was a coping mechanism, ultimately, that gave me the illusion of control. So I would go on to cheat on every single boyfriend that I ever had just because I thought that, hey, if I hurt you before you hurt me, I'm still in control. You can't leave me before I can leave you. And that's a problem because that goes down, it goes back to being a thought process. And that's the problem. The way that we're thinking, our belief system. And if we don't get this stuff taken care of or handled or healed now, those thought processes don't just change because you get married. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so what's really bad about abandonment is it actually makes it's a recurring cycle because think about it when you have someone who's really clingy and we probably all had the friend that was incredibly clingy and they show up they're incredibly clingy they're the ones that are like always like if you don't respond with the text right after they text like what's wrong what's going on well, How are you doing what's that and like they're going after it over and over and the only way you get rid of clingy people is how you had to cut them off like just totally cut them off and so what happens they feel abandonment again It literally is the same cycle over and over. It's the same thing with walls. You literally set yourself up to go through the same cycle over and over again. You're consistently putting that same lie back in your heart. And and so abandonment's a very big deal. And the the one that I'm going to talk about here, and you're going, this doesn't sound like a big deal, but it's those of you that had enabling parents. Um, Enabling parents are the parents that wanted to um, be your best friend. Uh, They're the parents. They're like, I'm the cool parent. It's like, it it always makes reminds me of Mean Girls. You know, that part where she's like, I'm not a real parent. I'm a cool parent. Like, it it was the parent that like literally always came in and made sure you had the best, made sure you never felt pain, made sure that you never failed, made sure that everything was okay, it was the parent that came in, like if you failed a test, they're like, oh no, we need to talk to the teacher, and the teacher doesn't change it, we're changing teachers, we're changing schools, whatever it may be, it's like if you don't get a trophy, we're going to go buy your own trophy, if you don't get something, we're going to go do this, It's, it's constantly making sure that you never feel pain, and everything is taken care of all the time, like you will never fail with an enabling parent. And so it, I, I've seen this so many times, even in youth ministry, I'd have parents come up and say, hey, um, my kid said you said this to him. I'm like, yes. And they're like, well, that's not fair. I'm like, well, wait, what? Well, they did that. Yeah, but that's, that's okay. They just do that sometimes. And, it, it's the, and they're like, oh, I'm going to take them somewhere else. I literally had a parent, I'm being dead serious when I say this, uh, whose kid got so many speeding tickets, his, his, his license was going to be revoked. And they're like, it's okay, we'll just change states. This is the parent that when you went off to college was like, hey, I can move up there too. Yeah, some of you are like, oh crap, he knows. Um, but, but it becomes this, this dangerous thing because we, we literally have um, culture reaffirming this was the way that we go through life. It's the idea that kids don't need to feel pain. Kids don't need to go through something and they're enabling you to stay where you're at. Here's the problem. This is why this is so big in marriage. This is so big in marriage because when you're, if you grow up in an enabling parent, here's what you believe. You believe that if someone really loves you, they never say no. If someone really loves you, they will never tell you there's something wrong with you. If someone really loves you, they'll just accept you for who you are all the time and never give you criticism. And so when an enabling kid walks down the aisle, it's a dangerous deal. It's dangerous because they walk in we're already selfish when we walk down the aisle. This person is beyond that. This person believes that if their wife or their spouse tells them that there's something wrong with them, then they don't love them. They believe that their wife or spouse allows them to feel pain. They don't love them. And so you literally have someone that doesn't have the ability to see reality for who they really are. Now, how do you find out that you had this kind of parent? How do you find out that this is who you are? It's, it's actually really hard. You have to ask someone, you have to ask someone close to you that you trust. That's not trying to sleep with you. (laughs) Oh no, you're perfect. Um, that's not what you need to hear. It, you need to ask someone and be honest and go, Hey, here's the deal. Um, and cause here's the deal. If you've been through this, if you had an enabling parent, they probably haven't been able to be honest with you either. So you have to say, Hey, I want you to be honest with me. I want you to be straightforward with me. What am I missing? What are my blind spots? Is this something that I'm dealing with? Cause this is something that if you start understanding now, you start seeing now you can start to change An enabling parent can be an incredibly destructive force in a marriage. Now, the next one is something that I know very dearly, and that is the performance-based love. I have a feeling I'm going to hit many of us in here. Uh, This is the I love you but, I love you when, I love you if kind of parent. This is the parent that uh, only gave praise when you exceeded their expectations. This is the parent that put expectations on you that were so far what everybody else's expectations were. Uh, I, I remember getting certain grades, and people are like, "That's amazing!" And I'm like, "No, I'm going to be in trouble for this." You know, it, it's that idea that they expected this level, and until you reach this level, you didn't feel love. And for some of you, it's the expectations. For some of you, it was just a comment. For me, it was a comment too. I remember my dad? My dad. So I'm I'm Hal. I'm the fourth. My son's the fifth. Uh, and my dad said this to me. I remember him saying, "He goes, here's the deal, Hal. You come from an incredible line of men. Every Hal has been better than the last." And he told me this. And for me, that hit me hard, and here's why. The first how, number one, was in a bunch of wars. Um, he went in three different wars. I mean, the real reason was, apparently, his wife was very nagging, and so he didn't want to be at home, so whenever there was a war, he's like, I'm gone. And, uh, but besides that, you know, he was a decent guy, um, but he's, he was married, I mean, not married, uh, he was buried in Arlington Cemetery, that would be a weird place to have a marriage, Um <laughs> He was, uh, he was buried in Allerton Cemetery. My, Hal number two was in the military also, but then he got out. Uh, with a high school education, he started working at a paper mill, worked himself all the way up to VP of the largest paper supplier in all of the Southeast, which was a big deal when people still read newspapers, um, but multimillionaire from a high school education. My dad, you know, he was somebody that was naturally athletic, picked up basketball his sophomore year of high school, got a college scholarship. Um, went on to become an executive pastor of a mega church. Uh, all the executive pastors would get together and they would go, hey, who's the person that's going to you know, be ahead of this deal? And they elected him. Um, he got his doctorate in educational leadership. And with that, he literally took it and he teaches Fortune 500 companies how to lead. Like He's accomplished a lot of things. So when that dad tells you every hell has done more, you're going to do more than me, and that's what's expected of you. It puts a weight on your shoulders. I remember holding on to that and thinking, man, I can't let anyone know I failed at anything. I can't let anyone know that I've done anything wrong because then I will have failed my name. And we've had that conversation since then. My dad and I have. We've had the conversation. He goes, that is not at all what I meant. That's not at all what's there. He goes, I'm incredibly proud of what you're doing. I'm incredibly proud of where you're going at in your life. But it made me realize my son is Hal the Fifth, and you know, I'm not going to say the same thing to him. What I'm going to say to him is, hey, every house has done something different. Every house has succeeded in a different way. And God's made you in a very specific way to where you're going to succeed. But for many of us in here, the performance side has been hurting us. And here's what performance-based love, someone who has been performance-based love looks like in a marriage. It's somebody that walks into a marriage and they immediately put expectations on their spouse that their spouse doesn't even know about. And what happens is they don't fully love that person until they met these expectations. So they, they're constantly withholding love. Their spouse doesn't even know why, but they're withholding love because they, they expect their spouse to reach higher and do more in order to deserve their love. Now, not only does that happen, but on the other side, when their spouse tells you, I love you, I care about you, you're an amazing person. They don't believe it because they don't feel like they've reached the expectation they should in their marriage. So people that come from a performance-based background actually not only don't give away love the way they should, they don't receive it either. And so they end up in a situation where both sides feel unloved. Both sides feel like it's failure because they're sitting there with unmet expectations on both sides. It is something that you've got to pay attention to. I've seen this so many times. One of the number one reasons divorce happens is unmet expectations. And most of those expectations have never even been talked about. So this is something that we've got to learn to deal with. It's something that we've got to allow God to come into our hearts and tell us who we are and believe that we are something special to him so that someone else can actually love us in that same way. Performance-based love is something we have to pay attention to.
1: And the fifth and final bag for tonight is the bag of abuse. Um, Abuse is going to be the hardest bag to deal with because it's complicated and it's personal and... The ramifications of abuse we may never really completely understand. Um, Abuse can be emotional, it can be physical, it can be sexual, but whether we like to admit it or not, um, abuse will have undoubtedly a direct impact on our relationships. It affects how we view ourselves and it ultimately affects how we view the same sex or the opposite sex or both sexes, the world in general. So this is a bag that, obviously, you know, we want to forget about. We would rather forget about. Um, we either try to hide it, or we try to minimize it, and say it's not a big deal. But sooner or later, later, its effects will definitely come out, because abuse is like a ticking time bomb, and it manifests itself in a plethora of coping mechanisms, giving you the illusion of control because never again will you be out of control because once you were not in control. So you will learn to do everything in your power to make yourself believe that you are still in control. So I was a victim of childhood sexual abuse. I was also raped when I was in high school and this is something that I kept secret till I was 28 years old, Um, just turned 35 this year. So that is a long time to carry a secret, secrets, and shame, and disgust. But when abuse is experienced, the enemy will try to get you to do one of three things, or maybe all of them. We'll try to get you to minimize it, or compare it, or convince you, even worse, that you deserved it, or that you did something to bring it on. Because I remember the lies of the enemy whispering Oh, it's, it's, it's not that big a deal. Like, bad things happen in the world. The world's a tough place. So you're just going to have to put your big boy or big girl pants on, and you're just going to have to carry on. Or two, compare it. I remember him whispering, you know, but you've heard this story, and it wasn't like that, so it could have been a lot worse. So you don't really need to say anything. You just needed to keep it a secret. Or convince you that you deserved it and that you did something to bring it on. I remember him whispering that, hey, what you, where, the situation you, got, you at, got yourself in was really dumb. Or you flirted. So what was somebody expected to do? Or that person was probably abused themselves, so they can't be held responsible. See, we worked so hard then to go on and build this image. I know I did of what a strong girl looked like. Because never again would I feel like a victim. Never again would I feel vulnerable. Never again would I feel weak or out of control. So by the time that I got married, um, my idea of what sex was supposed to be was so warped. And by that time, I had picked up so many different coping mechanisms and addictions that were directly correlated to the abuse I experienced um, that really I only let Hal see a part of me. Because I had to fight so hard and work overtime to hide those things. Because ultimately, I didn't know if he was going to end up confirming the lies that the enemy had already told me. That I was dirty or broken or worse, that he wouldn't stay. That I would be abandoned again. So when I began to unpack some of this baggage, not everything came out at one time. It wasn't even in the first conversation, the second or the third conversation. It was almost like each time I told a little bit more of my story. It was like, can I trust you? Because I'm going to test your love. Because love isn't trustworthy, right? People leave. But can you handle this? Am I worth fighting for? Will you stay? And so this is where I challenge you to counseling, (laughs) my counseling plug for the night. Um, If you have ever considered going to counseling before today or you're starting to think tonight, maybe I do need to kind of go and and talk this stuff out, um, if you sense any sort of hesitancy, that's from the enemy. And you just need to get over yourself, point blank, because you need to get over your pride. Because some of the people around you that would tell you you're not doing a very good job trying to manage it by yourself anyways. And really, what's the harm of talking to somebody that you don't know, one, and two, are probably never even going to see again after you pay them, right? And that's great. (laughs) It was for me. Um, But the thing about counseling is what I ultimately was able to do is replace the lies that the enemy had told me with truth of God's word. Because through our experiences and through abuse and any other bag, really, that we've talked about tonight, the enemy ends up telling you a lie that forms your negative core beliefs, your belief system, how you end up relating to those around you. And then you end up acting in a certain way, consciously and subconsciously, based off of that belief. So that's what counseling does. You are literally allowing God to transform your thinking. Because when we transform our mind and we start believing it, then our behavior changes. So for those of you who keep wondering, why do I keep ending up in the same situation, in the same relationship, attracting the same person, intimate relationships and friends? I keep doing the things that I don't want to do. And that's because we have to get our mind right. We have to allow God to transform our way of thinking. So the enemy is like a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. And the second thing that counseling does is it gets you out of isolation. Because when the enemy can have you alone by yourself with your own thoughts, which we know are never good, and his lies, he will win every time. But the more we start to talk about it, it also says in the scriptures that we will overcome by the blood of the lamb, yes, but the word of our testimony. So the more we start talking about these things out loud, the enemy loses his grip. He's not as strong anymore. So I encourage you, if you are considering counseling, please Ask us if you need a reference, talk to us, and we will point you in the right direction. Cause counseling is amazing. That's my point.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Chrissy was twenty-eight. It, no one knew. No one knew. And never
1: told my mom. Never best told friend. your mom, your
0: best friend, anyone. And so it was five years into our marriage, and we were at Outback Steakhouse.
1: We're all good. Conversations start.
0: (laughs) And she said across to me and she's like, well, I need to tell you something. It's like nowhere in my mind did I think it was going there. But here's what happens whenever we tell our story. Um, And I hear this and I've had girls say this to me directly. And so I feel like I got to talk about it. Um, They say this. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait till I get married. Um, I'm going to find a guy like you and I'm going to get married and then I'm going to wait till I get married, and then I'm going to let it out so that he can be there to support me. And, and let me just say this. Um, that's stupid. Um, I could have said it meaner. Um, it, please don't do that. Please don't do that. That, that. that is not at all what is the healthy way of doing this. Like this is something that literally took us three to four years of time to get through. Uh, three different counselors, three to four years of time, time that would have, and here's here's why. Because in marriage, she no longer could just work on herself. She had to work about our relationship. Every new thing that she had to come out with, every new thing that she dealt with, every new breakthrough, she had to hope that I wasn't walking out the door. She had to work on our relationship at the same time. It took that long because we were together already. If she could have just worked on herself and only worried about herself, it would have made a huge difference. People like, oh, but the support was there. Yes, yeah, sometimes I was support and sometimes I was absolutely selfish. I'll be honest with you guys. I was not the awesome guy. I was not what you would go. I look back in my past and I'm going, I was a pastor during those times. I mean, I'm wondering many of these times going, did I make the right decision? Did I make the right choice? Should I have married her? Is this the right place for me? Did I miss something somewhere. And I remember at one point even having to to go, well, here's the deal. She's struggling with all these things while trying to be a pastor's wife. And I remember having to ask her the question that I didn't want to ask was, do I need to leave ministry so that you can heal? And in my selfishness, I was very afraid of that answer. In my selfishness, my, my, my question there was not to keep her as whole as possible. My question was, I hope I get to stay where I'm at. Because the the people that did the real work in her life that helped her move through it was not me. It was the counselor. So if you're looking for a guy or a girl to help fix you, that's not what we do. We're bad at it. In fact, when students, I was in student ministry for 13 years. If a student came up to me or a parent came up to me and said, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what's going on. There's abuse. Clear-headed, I could help them. Clear-headed, I could point them in the right direction. I could, I could help them with what they're feeling right now. I could definitely pray with them right away. When your wife comes to you and tells you that, it wasn't clear-headedness. It was confusion. It was not understanding what I, was, I should do in this moment. And, and let me say it this way, and this is going to sound, it may sound wrong at first, but please, please stay with me in this. When I married Chrissy, I married a percentage of Chrissy, there was a good percentage of her heart that was walled up. There was a good percentage of her heart that was literally spent just making sure I didn't find out it existed. There was a whole percentage of Chrissy that was kept in the background just because she didn't want to know what she didn't want me to know what I had she had gone through. And so when she was able to go through this time, when she was able to go through this counseling and gain freedom, it was literally like her entire heart opened up and every part of her was better. She was a better wife. She was a better uh, teacher. She was better at, like, literally, you saw her ministry explode. You saw God start to use her in amazing ways. It was like she goes, she looks up at the, the prison up in Hernando County. She's like, those women believe the same lies that I do. I'm going to start a prison ministry. In the beginning, it wasn't like Grace was on board with it. Like, go ahead and start, and we'll see what happens. It grows. There's 60 women serving in that ministry to hundreds of women up in that prison right now. I mean, every time she starts a small group, tons of people show up. I'm like, "This is amazing. Like she's just uh, awesome. I mean the mom that she is today, and this I really believe God made it come out before we had kids. I absolutely believe that, because the mom that she is now is so much more than the mom she would have had to been in that moment, not to men- mention the, the baggage that would have been brought along that she would have carried on to our son. So I, I, I tell you to get freedom. I tell you to get counseling. Freedom is something that happens at Grace Family Church every semester that will start again in January, February. Please, please, please take next steps. Please look for that. Please start moving in that direction. And what I'm not asking you to do is go into your small group tonight and go, all right, guys, here's everything. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. That's not what that's for. But it is to start working in your mind, working in your head, going, I need to gain freedom from this. I need to move forward in this. It's the idea I need to resolve this now. I need to start taking steps Now, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a choice when you go home to start in a process or stay right where you are because it's going to be so easy as these emotions flood in. And as soon as you start to be honest, as soon as you start to deal with it, guaranteed more emotions. Guaranteed the devil will start telling you lies as soon as this happens. And you will have an opportunity whether to keep it to yourself or actually talk about it. Guys, Jesus is the only one that can love you unconditionally. He is the only one. So when you go through this with yourself, the counselor in God, it's that perfect thing that happens there. When you bring a spouse in, guys, as much as I love Chrissy, I cannot say that my love is unconditional. I'm a human. I am a person. I've had doubts, and during that four-year period, it was incredibly tough. Jesus never sways. Jesus is the one that truly tells her who she is, not me. I help. I help. But Jesus is the one that tells her that. See, in in 1 John 4, 7 to 10, it says this. It says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. The original love, the true love, comes from God, not from anybody else. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, which is what we need to know. But anyone who does not love, not know God, does not. For God is love. For God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Because the beauty of the gospel is that we don't have to change ourselves for God to show up. It's not like God's going, oh, uh, there's a certain weight limit to your baggage. The rest of it, not dealing with it. Like you need to leave it behind. Like God's like, bring it all to me. And what happens is when we start to deal with these things, there's a peace that happens through this. There's a peace, there's an ability for your heart to open up much more than it was before. And let me just say this, many of you right now, even after hearing this and knowing, and you're thinking about the people that hurt you, you're thinking about the people that did this to you, you're thinking about your parents, and what's very easy to do is to focus solely on, you get mad and you're like, I'm going to punish my parents. Guys, look at your parents. Life is already punishing them. So many times we're looking at punishing people that life has already punished them. They're already going through it themselves. And on top of it, they're, they're literally a result of what's happened before. At, at some point you have to go, you know what? I can't leave it up to my parents. Whether or not they say they're sorry, it doesn't matter. It'd be great if they did. It'd be great if the person that hurt me said they were sorry. It'd be great if the people that did these things to me asked for forgiveness. But even if they don't, it is now upon me to work on me not just for me, but for everyone else in my life, for my future spouse, for my future kids. Guys, here's what's crazy. They say this, one good marriage, one strong marriage lasts five generations. So when you choose to work on yourself now, when you choose in your singleness to work on yourself now, you're deciding for the next five generations they're not gonna deal with this. They're not gonna deal with this pain in there. And here's what we have to do. We've gotta give up our past because until we give up our past, we can't develop a new pattern. We've got we've to go, I'm going to give up my past because right now so much of our past defines us. If you're in a family that goes, that's just us, your past is defining you. If, you're in a, if, if you ever said, well, that's just the way we do things, as a way of explaining things, your past is defining you. And you're deciding that's all I am. And God goes, no, I can give you a new pattern. I can give you a new way of life. For some of you, you just need to surround yourselves with some really good friends. For some of you, you need to go to freedom. For some of you, you need to get into counseling, whatever it may be. I ask that you start that process tonight. I ask that you start moving towards that tonight. And just on top of that, let me just say this. There's not anything that's much more attractive than someone who is whole. Gosh, when someone's whole, you notice it, you see it. When someone has the ability to be absolutely honest about their life, talk about their problems, what they've been through, how God's brought them through it, and come out on the other side, there's just something there that you go, that that strength is something that I want. Guys, wholeness is something that you can work to right now. I ask that you do that. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that uh, we can talk about this. God, I know uh, so many hearts right now are aching. Um, There's already defense mechanisms up. God, I pray that you would bring those down. God, I pray that we, we would start working on these things now. God, whatever conversation we need to have, God, I pray that we'll have it. Whatever friends we need to bring in, I pray that we bring them in. If we need to find a counselor, God, I pray that we move towards that right away. God, I pray we wouldn't look for others to change what has happened to us, but God, I pray that we would take a hold of our past. We would decide that we're going to deal with it, and we're going to put it aside for what you have for us. God, we thank you so much that you make us whole, that you make us complete. There's nothing in our past, there's nothing we have done, that anybody that's done to us that has to define our future. And God, you give us that choice, and we thank you for that. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.